This episode is sponsored by Down to Earth Ice Teas. Our functional super teas are made from organic super herbs and adaptogens and contain no sugar, no preservatives, no food colorings, and range from only zero to 10 calories per bottle. Our beverages are USDA organic, kosher, vegan, non-GMO, and keto and paleo friendly. Finally, bottled beverages that you can truly trust. Check out drinkdowntoearth.com and use promo code PODCAST10 for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. It's super important for us to all understand the incredible impact that our food and beverage consumption has on our health. We're living at a time where there's more information about nutrition easily accessible to us than ever before, yet disease rates continue to rise and the health of society as a whole continues to decline. It's clear that we still have so much to learn about proper nutrition and how we could all implement better dietary choices into our daily lives. My guest today is acclaimed integrative nutritionist and food activist, Courtney Swan. Courtney is the founder of Real Foodology, a website, blog, and Instagram account where she aims to educate consumers on the dirty practices of the food industry and the proper way to eat healthy through consuming real, wholesome foods. Courtney has so much valuable wisdom to share with us on how we could all strive for better health through our consumption. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Courtney, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm a big fan of your work. I'm excited to be chatting with you. And I'd love to get started by learning a little bit more about your story and your background and what ultimately started your health and wellness journey. I feel like a lot of people in my position usually have some sort of story of like either they got really sick or yeah, they had some sort of health issue that they were trying to address. But for me, it was more... I kind of had like a backwards way into it. So when I was growing up, my mom was very healthy. She was eating or we were eating everything organic, cooking everything from scratch. And so I had that perspective. So when I went to college, I had never really had like fast food and I wasn't really eating out when I was younger. And so when I got to college, I just went crazy. You know, I was like doing the fourth meal Taco Bell, like binge drinking all the time as you do in college, not saying I condone it, but I did it. Um, (laughs) The whole thing. (laughs) And I hit a point where I was, I just, you know, I gained like 20 pounds. I was very inflamed and I just felt horrible. And so I had had that perspective where before I I was able to look back and be like, wow, I felt so much better when I was at home. My mom was cooking everything from scratch. I felt good. And so I started kind of like, well, it was really my mom. She started sending me books when I was in college. She would mail me packages and she'd throw books in there, nutrition books. I think she got me onto Michael Pollan, like all these really... Uh, Mark Hyman was another one. And she would actually, this was so cute. She used to physically cut out little newspaper clippings and send them to me about nutrition stuff. And this was before like, yeah, I mean, I'm dating myself a little bit. We had the internet, but it was not like it is now where you like email someone, you know, an article. And so slowly but surely I started kind of trying, you know, I started getting kind of on track. And I remember I read this one book and it's so funny because I haven't even really referenced it in probably like 10 years, but it's called You Are What You Eat. And it was the first time that it really helped me make that connection between what I was putting on my body and then how it was, how my cells were using that food to create energy and help me feel better. And it really just became this uh, quest for me to just feel better in my body again. That's amazing. And I'm actually really happy to hear that about your story because I feel like nowadays with more health and wellness information out there, a lot of people might be raising their kids to be more health focused, but there is sort of you know, if it's pushed too hard down your throat without being explained properly, there is sometimes that need to rebel. So I think it's important to really get educated on the reasons why you eat the way that you do. So then you could really appreciate that extra effort that's being put into your consumption. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't think I would have cared as much. I don't even say I don't think I would not have cared as much had I not made that connection. Absolutely. Now, what do you think are some of the biggest issues with our current healthcare and food system? Because again, like I mentioned just now, we live at a time where more health and wellness information is accessible than ever before. And there's more products that are trying to be quote unquote better for you. 
but yet disease rates are still on the rise every year. So clearly something's not working. Yeah. And at what point are we going to stop and recognize and just admit that what we're doing right now is not working? I'm like, with that question, I'm like, where do I start? You know, the biggest thing I would say with, from our, at least with our healthcare, we are not approaching healthcare from a preventative standpoint. You know, all it is, is like doctors aren't, they're not trained to look for root causes. It's all about symptom maintenance, right? Like you come in and they're just like, oh, your symptoms are X, Y, and Z. We have a pill to match that symptom. And then they send you on your way. So this is why I really like integrative and functional medicine, because you get an hour with your doctor, that first appointment, they really get to know you. Whereas in standard allopathic medicine, your doctor maybe has 10 minutes with you, you know, and that's not enough time to sit down and say like, okay, well, where are your stress levels at? Are you sleeping? How's your social life? What's your diet look like? And there's a lot of things that we need to be asking these. We need to be asking these questions because this is what a healthy body really looks like. It's not just about the symptoms. And then we're chasing down these symptoms and trying to throw a pill at it. So if we could get to a place where our insurance was recognizing preventative care instead of what we're doing right now, which is we wait until there's a disease and then we start to treat it instead of if doctors were trained to say like, okay, we're, you know, we're seeing every year your numbers are going up. Like, let's say your blood sugar keeps creeping up instead of just being like, oh, you're fine. You don't need to change your diet or anything. We need to start having that conversation now. Like, hey, you could become pre-diabetic. You could go into diabetes in two years, but not if we are able to take those interventions now and prevent it. But we're not doing that in, in standard allopathic care. I agree with you 100%. I think that is the biggest problem. And I think more people are waking up to the importance of preventative medicine. And there are more options out there, but it does have to become a priority. Because again, preventative health is, is everything. I really do believe that it's the future. Absolutely. I do too. And thankfully, there are more and more people recognizing this. I've noticed there is a lot more people going to their doctors and saying that they need more of this. And people are educating themselves now, thankfully. And then of course, like there's doctors. I mean, I actually, on my podcast recently, I just had a surgeon on my podcast who wrote a book that's called How to Stay Off My Operating Table. Ooh. Because so, isn't that cool? Yeah. Because he was like, I'm seeing all these really sick patients come in and I see the solution here and the solution is not what we're doing right now. So I'm going to write a book and essentially he's like putting himself out of business. But thankfully, a lot of doctors are starting to recognize and realize that what we're doing right now is not working. hundred percent. And I have a lot of respect for doctors like that because that's definitely not always the case. And another big issue is oftentimes, you know, people might go see their doctor, their primary care physician, and nutrition is very rarely discussed. And if it is, a lot of times the recommendations that are being made are completely off. So from your perspective, you know, given your background in nutrition, of course, nutrition is personalized and different things work for different people. But what are some of the key pillars that that most people should try to incorporate into their views on nutrition and consumption? Yeah. And I want to, I want to say something really fast before about the reason why this is such an issue. And you, you brought up a great point that I forgot to bring up. The issue is diet, right? And Mm -hmm. they're going to their doctor when we have doctors for acute care, we need to be going to people like nutritionists, dietitians, people that were actually trained and went to school for nutrition, all about diet, because with doctors, they're, they're lucky if they get one class, there's seven years of studying on nutrition. So this is part of the problem is that they are just spouting out, you know, go on a low fat diet, but food doesn't really matter that much. Just exercise. You can exercise it off. And this is not to vilify doctors. This is just to say that there is a gap in between the the education there for them. And so they're not properly trained for what everyone's coming to them for now. And so I got a little sidetracked because what did you ask me? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, you really have to compartmentalize. And if you're, you know, working on your fitness, find the best possible fitness trainer. If you're looking to to work on your nutrition, you know, definitely speak with somebody who's well-versed in that. Because again, the traditional medical school curriculum does not include any required nutrition courses. I think it's just one uh, elective type course that very few people actually opt into. So I agree with you on that. That's a great point. Yeah, it's wild. And it's crazy that we haven't fixed that yet. Or that we haven't made it more of a messaging like, okay, you go for X, Y, and Z, and then you go to your nutritionist or your dietitian for your diet. You know, it's like we need to start putting those in different boxes. We do. Um, And I also think that now, because there's so much information out there, you know, on social media, on websites, people assume that they could just sort of clump themselves into a larger population. And it's like, if this works for this person, I'm good. You know, why do I have to go and see someone and get a personalized protocol when in reality, different things work for different people and nutrition and health and wellness in general is so personalized and it has to be. um, And that's why you really have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. 
you just brought up another great point is that our medical system is very one size fits all approach. And unfortunately, it's just it cannot be that way. We all are so bio individual that what works for me is not going to work for you necessarily. It might, but you're only going to be able to figure that out by trial and error. And you can't, we can't apply one thing and just assume that it's going to work for me, work for you. Think about just people in different stages of their life. I need different um, amounts of calories, for example, than like a pregnant woman or a woman in her 80s or like, you know, and a woman in middle school or a girl in middle school growing up. Same for. And then on top of that, you throw in genes and you throw in like genetic mutations, different food allergies, sensitivities. There is so much there that we have to treat everyone bio-individual. Absolutely. There's so much that goes into it. And, and I think that's one of the biggest problems is a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I went vegan or I went paleo or I went this, but they're just following sort of the grain and not really going deeper and figuring out what works for them. And then, you know, they might not have a successful time, you know, following this type of lifestyle. So I think that people really do have to take that extra step and figure out what works for them. But I think a common thing that most people should be incorporating into their routines is real foods. And I know that you're a huge proponent of real foods. You're the founder of Real Foodology. So I'd love to know more about your viewpoints about real food and, and your inspiration behind Real Foodology. So the inspiration behind Real Foodology was literally real food. So I was in school getting my master's in nutrition. And as I was trying to think of... At the time, I was just starting a website. I really didn't know what I was going to do with Real Foodology. All I knew is I I needed an outlet to share everything that I was learning. And I I remember there's one I was just ruminating over names. I was like, what am I going to name it? What am I going to name it? And I just kept coming back to real food. And so I landed on Real Foodology because something that has always been really important to me on this journey is that... I wanted it to be a holistic, integrative approach that was still very grounded in science because I know sometimes we can get caught, you know, caught away with like the, I don't know how to explain it, but basically I wanted it to be very grounded in science as well. And so that's where I got real foodology. It's like the science of real food is where I got it. So there was another question. Oh, so what is, what do I define real food as? Yeah, because I feel like so many people nowadays assume that they're eating real foods and they'll point to crackers that market that they have vegetables in them or cookies that market that they have protein in them. And they're like, look, I'm eating real foods. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for those items because of course we all love to snack and it's good to have better for you options out there, but that doesn't generally classify as real food. So what does truly eating real food look like? If you just zoom out, the definition is like foods as unadulterated and unprocessed as possible, as close to nature as you can possibly find them is what you would consider real food. So think like whole grains, um, whole fruits, whole vegetables, high quality meats, et cetera. But we live in a world where you know we don't always have time to make every single thing from scratch. And thankfully, a lot of companies are now starting to make re- cl- as close as possible to real food products. Like I actually am looking right now on my counter. There's a box of red lentil pasta. And oh, if you turn that. it around, it's one ingredient. It's literally just lentils. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what you have to think about. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you are looking at a packaged food and you look at the ingredient list... If you could technically make this, I'm not saying you have to, but I'm just saying if you're like, oh yeah, I've read lentils and water and you know, whatever, salt, then it's it's fair game. Then you can buy it. But if you're looking at the back and you're like, I have no idea where one would find blue number one or TBHQ or all these random ingredients, don't buy it because that's not considered to be real food. Yeah. And I fully agree with you. I think it's super important to read ingredients and Nowadays, a lot of products are mismarketed and they're allowed to based on law. So a lot of people will just look at the front, they see a photo of an apple or an orange or whatever it is, and they just don't look any further. But it's really important to turn around and look at the ingredients. Absolutely. That's a trick called greenwashing that a lot of companies do. They make the front look very pretty and like organic and healthy. And then you look at the back and the ingredients are a mess. Yeah. So don't fall for it. You always have to read the ingredients. Definitely. And you just mentioned some ingredients that we should all be wary of. What are some others that you typically recommend people stay away from, whether it be in food or beverage products? Because I know you talk a lot about beverage products as well on your blogs. Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, hydrogenated oils. Those are known as trans fats. And they are basically the equivalent of eating plastic. When, When they hit our arteries, they are horrible for us. As far as like in drinks and stuff, artificial sweeteners you want to look out for. I would even say to a certain extent, natural flavors, just because you have no idea what that company is actually putting in there. And it's basically just a one word name for, I mean, it could be like hundreds of different 
and it could be um, genetically modified. You have no idea what's in it. So exactly. unless if something says like, I trust it if it says organic natural flavors or if the company is very transparent, like I know of a milk company that has organic natural flavors and then they literally put out something on the website that said, but this is all we use in those flavors. So that I trust, but you want to look out for dyes. So like blue number one, yellow number five. I mean, there's a whole list of those because those are linked to cancer, also ADHD in children. They've actually banned them in the UK, but they, for some reason, are not banning them here. Another one would be canola oil. That's a huge one that you want to avoid. And that's a really hard one. That is a a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it's highly inflammatory. And if anyone's listening and they don't maybe necessarily (laughs) trust that canola oil is something they need to avoid, just Google or go to YouTube and look up how canola oil is made and you will never eat it again. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's gross. Yeah, that's a big one. That's definitely a big one. And it is hard to avoid, but it is toxic. Yeah, it's bad. For sure. And again, thankfully, we have the control when we're going to a grocery store and we're cooking and we're prepping our food. But we all like to eat out at least every once in a while. And when you eat out, obviously, you have more restrictions because you're not back there in the kitchen. So what are some tips that you have for people who do like to eat out often, but want to do it in a healthful way? Well, I would say first and foremost, start finding restaurants that use higher quality ingredients. I always look for organic. I mean, I'm really, I'm lucky that I live in LA because I can find a lot of those there. But I will, I traveled for work for um, almost 10 years. And I noticed over the years that I was starting to be able to find more and more restaurants that were promoting, we don't use canola oil or we use organic ingredients or we use grass-fed meats. So I would say, number one, look for that if you can. I know it's not always possible. I know sometimes your friends are just like, hey, we got a reservation here. We want to go here. Then, you know, I say at that point, the way that I approach it is have fun with your friends. You know, if this is something where you're literally doing it every single night, then I would, I would kind of question your habits in general and try to start maybe cooking more at home. Or like I said, if you are going to do that, go to the organic places. But if you're going out to eat like once or twice a week, you know, I mean, be mindful of your choices and try to get greens and ask them if you can just have pure olive oil because a lot of times the dressings have canola oil and stuff like that. But also there is something to be said about not living in this state of just stress and anxiety all the time around your food. You know, you need to enjoy it. You need to you're out to eat with your friends or your loved one or whoever it is, you want to enjoy that time and not be so stressed about your food. And as long as you are making sure that you're buying good, high quality ingredients for the stuff that you're having at home, and that's the majority of your meals, you will be fine. That's the way I approach it. I agree with you on that. And I think the mindset that we have when we eat or just live life in general has such a big impact on our health. So Again, we all want to eat healthy, but if it's to the point where you're stressed about every single thing you're consuming, that also you know has negative health implications. So there is something to be said about just going out, obviously trying to make the best choice that you can, but enjoying it, being present, being in the moment, and not beating yourself up over it. Yeah. And there's studies that show that that really does have an impact and makes a difference on how the food affects you. And I know that sounds wild, but it's true. 100% true. Yeah. Now, I want to chat with you about diets a bit because I feel like there's so much confusion nowadays. I mean, you would think that there wouldn't be because now we have such easy access to so much valuable information, but it does seem that there's so much information out there and it ultimately does confuse a lot of people. So what are your viewpoints on diets, on sort of attaching yourself to one specific diet and how you sort of recommend that people balance that out? I always try to tell people, try not to get so caught up on the labels because I see this all the time. I went through this myself. I was vegetarian for five years, um, vegetarian for four, and then I was pescatarian for the last year. And I have to tell you, even as my health was declining, I was holding on so strongly just to that label because I felt like it was what I needed to do. I had convinced myself that it was the healthiest way to live. And what happened was I was ignoring all the signs and symptoms that my body was telling me that it wasn't working for me anymore. So that is the only reason why I say be careful with labels and try not to get so attached to it because sometimes people can get almost religious about their diets. And the problem is, like I said, then you're not tuning into your own body and your own needs. Like with my story, when I first went vegetarian, I felt great. I had energy, weight just fell off me that I did and like I wasn't even trying like I felt really good. There was a turning point though where I gained probably 20 pounds and again this is not about the weight it's telling you something mm-hmm. that is going on in your body, right? And I was super inflamed, I was getting sick all the time. I was so hungry 
24 hours a day. I could not stop eating. And like, that's a point when you know that your metabolism is off because that's, that goes into your blood sugar levels. I was constantly crashing. I was sick. I didn't feel good, but I did not want to give up that diet. And I will tell you, I went to see a nutritionist when I was like four and a half years in at this point, I was eating fish finally. And she just looked me straight in the eyes and goes, you have to start eating meat. I left that office sobbing because I was like, I can't do it. This makes me sick to my stomach. I'm so sad about it. And then it got to the point where I was dreaming about eating chicken. I literally woke up in the middle of the night one night. I was air feeding myself chicken nuggets, which is insane. I know. And I remember telling my mom and she was like, for the love of God, Courtney, your body is telling you that it needs meat. You got to eat it. And I like the second that I started eating it again, I felt so much better. So my point in all of this is that we need to learn more to listen to those signs and symptoms because your body will always tell you what it needs. But there is a caveat here. Not if you are subsisting on highly palatable, highly addictive foods. And this is why, again, it's so important to take those foods out of your diet because once you get those kind of foods out of your diet that are just, they are designed by food scientists to be highly palatable, highly craveable. And so it messes with your own body's intuition because now you're craving this stuff that was artificially made to be addictive mm-hmm. instead of being able to tune into your own body and be like, what am I craving today? Wow, salmon sounds really good. Your, po- your body probably needs omegas. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's amazing that when we're actually willing to listen, our body does tell us what we need. And it is hard you know, when you make a decision, whether it's for you know, social reasons or environmental reasons, animal reasons, it is hard to, to sort of change your lifestyle once you've already tried that path. But again, you do have to be mindful of your own health and, and figure out what works best for you. Yeah. And I will say too, like for people listening, don't use the, like, don't not try any of these diets if you think that they might help you. Mm-hmm. Just try to keep in mind that if it's not working for you, like I see this a lot too, you know, someone will follow someone on, on Instagram or follow a doctor or something. And they're like, oh my God, he is talking so much about the health benefits of keto and how amazing it is and how I'm going to lose all this weight and I'm going to feel amazing. Check in with yourself daily and be like, okay, but do I feel that way? Like, am I feeling better? Do I have energy to get out of bed or am I like sluggish? Because Mm -hmm. when I tried to do keto, I had no energy. I couldn't even work out. I was doing horribly on it. So again, it's all about trying to figure out what works best for you. And while also checking in with yourself and being really honest about if it works for you, you know? And so that's why with everyone you follow, if you follow any expert, scientist, doctor, any of them, if they say that this is the only way to do it, run, because there's no one way to do it. You have to figure out what works best for you. I agree with you. And I see a lot of that with keto. I have a lot of friends who went keto because they were following a doctor who was showing certain studies And I could tell, like, they were very hesitant to admit that it wasn't working for them. And you could just tell that they're on it because they feel like they have to, but they're deteriorating in front of you. And I feel like keto in general, I'm not saying that it doesn't work for anyone, but is it like a sustainable long-term every single day of the year? In my opinion, it's not. I think that there could be some risks to that for sure. Yeah. I think keto is great if you're doing it for clinical reasons. There's a lot of studies that show that it helps kids with epilepsy. It's also great if you're dealing with cancer because it's starving the the sugar. It's starving those tumor cells from sugar. Or if you are like really trying to lose a lot of weight, it's great for little increments like that. But I would say for the most part, it's really not that great and it's not sustainable. And you know, this is why I love real food. And this is why I preach it so much is that you need to find something that's sustainable in your life because you have to think about it, that this is something that you are going to do for the rest of your life. Potentially, if you can get to a place where you feel really good, you have your diet kind of optimized and you're eating whole real foods. This is something that you will do for the rest of your life. This is not some quick fix. Like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, eat just no carbs for like three weeks or whatever, because you don't want to be doing that yo-yo dining because it's even worse for your body. Exactly. And I think that's such an important point. You really do want to figure out what's sustainable and, you know, what could work with your lifestyle. You know, if you're somebody who's busy traveling, you know, you don't want to have to sort of change your diet and change your ways every week because then your body is just all over the place. Exactly. Yeah. And it causes stress and stress causes inflammation. You're not going to see the results that you want. It really is about finding something that, that works for you. Like I know I keep saying that, but it really is important. And it's hard at first. Like I, I've been in this world for 15 years and I would say I only really found a really good healthy balance with my food in the last two years. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say to discourage people, but just keep going. You will eventually figure out what works best for you and you will find that balance. And I I can't stress this enough. 
it's all about eating more real foods and getting rid of those highly palatable, highly craveable foods because that that alone will help you so much. I agree with you. And I think that something we both agree on is the importance of reducing added sugar intake. And I think that a lot of people have started to to try to, to limit their sugar intake or at least added sugar intake, but there still are large populations of people who are hesitant to, they don't really see the reasons why they should. So what are some of the main reasons why you think most people should be mindful of their added sugar intake? Well, first and foremost, I mean, sugar is the number. I had a, a another. I had a doctor on my podcast recently. He's a neuropathy surgeon, which means he sees diabetic patients all day. We talked for two hours about how horrible sugar is for you and how he believes it's the leading cause of every single ma- uh, major chronic disease that we're seeing. Heart disease. There was a study done by Harvard scientists in the 1970s. What they found is that it was not fat, it was sugar that was causing heart disease, but the sugar industry got a hold of that, paid these scientists off, and then they released their findings as it being fat. Well, then cue the low-fat movement that we had forever. Well, guess what happened when we took fat out of food? We had to add more sugar. And then look at, I mean, you can look at the numbers in our population of chronic disease going up, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, all of those you can link back to sugar. Because think about how much sugar we have in our food now. It's absolutely insane. I mean, you pull up like a salad dressing. I, I can't even buy salad dressing at the grocery store anymore unless if it's Primal Kitchen because everything either has sugar, canola oil, or soybean oil. Yeah. Your marinara sauce has sugar in it now. Your non-dairy milks, peanut butter. I mean, everything. And these are foods that we should not be having sugar in in the first place because like I said, it the main reason is that it causes chronic inflammation. And then also what's happening too is that you're putting stress on your pancreas, on your liver, because when your body has to constantly be pu- pumping out insulin in order to keep your blood sugars level, eventually you tire that out. That's how you end up with diabetes. So if we're constantly overloading our bodies with sugar and we're not keeping our blood glucose levels level all day, there's so many consequences that, to that as well. Think about mood swings. When you're really hungry, your blood sugar is dropping. Or if you eat a ton of sugar and then you crash and you have no energy and then you need to eat more sugar in order to get that energy back. It's just a vicious cycle. And if you can get a control on your blood sugar levels, on your glucose levels, that is where you find metabolic flexibility, which means that you can eat a meal, not be tired afterwards, and not have it completely derail you and have you, you know, have the mood swings, the crashes, and all this stuff. And you can eat the foods that you want to eat and not feel like you're just gaining weight and have no control over your metabolism. That's so true. And we see so many people just starting their day. Their morning latte has more sugar in that alone that they should be having the whole day. And that's just 8 a.m., 9 a.m. on the way to work. And then they have a whole day ahead of them where there's more sugar in everything they're consuming. So, you know, the way we start our days are, are so important that we should definitely really try to limit it. I mean, throughout the day as well, but first thing in the morning is probably a great way to, to sort of set yourself up for success. That's a great point. I'm glad that you brought that up. I always tell people, do not have sugar in the morning because once you start that in the morning, you will crave sugar all day. So if you are one of those people, I know a lot of people love to have sweetness in their coffee, use monk fruit or stevia because those won't have an impact on your blood glucose levels and they don't have any sugar and they're not artificial. So those add a great sweetener. I, I usually say like, yeah, don't do a, a ton of carbs in the morning. If you are going to have carbohydrates like toast, not vilifying them, but just saying, make sure that you have good protein and some sort of high quality fat. So like grass fed butter, avocado, something to help just alleviate that carb load with the fat. And it's also going to keep you satiated fuller for longer. Yeah. And that's a great point. And I mean, healthy fats are so important yet they have been vilified for so long. And I know you're a big proponent of incorporating healthy fats into your diet. Why is that so important? Well, because like I just said that fats are what keep us satisfied and full. Mm -hmm. And they also create this amazing taste for food. So they make food tastes really well. I mean, that's what I said earlier that we, we realized when we took the fat out of our foods, they had, they were bland they had no taste anymore. And so we had to add in the sugar. But the thing is, is when you have good high quality fats, I know the biggest thing is people are like, oh, they're more caloric dense, but you end up eating less of them because you get so full. I mean, think about when you have like half of an, I can, I can barely even finish a half of an avocado because I get so satisfied and full. And for some reason we have been taught to be scared of that. 
you want that. I mean, my ultimate goal when I have a meal is to not be hungry for like three or four hours later. You know, you don't want to be doing like we've been taught for so many years that you have your breakfast and then you have a little snack and then you have your lunch and then you have another little snack and then you have dinner. And I'm not saying this to shame anyone or to vilify that or anything, but we really should be at a place where when you have a really good high quality meal and that includes the high protein, the the good high quality fat, you should be full for like three or four hours so that you can go about your day. You have energy. You don't feel like you're chasing snacks all day. And that's why I really like fat because it helps to keep me full and keep me to that next meal for longer. And on that topic, are you a fan of, I mean, there are a lot of people who try to do like six smaller meals throughout the day. And I personally also, I have my three meals, but they're really nutrient dense and I'm good. But what are your views on people who like prefer those little small meals throughout the day? I'm going to say something a a little controversial. I'm not a fan of them and I don't think they're good for us. However, I will go back to what I said earlier. You need to figure out what works best for you. And if that truly is what helps you be optimal in your fitness and your energy, like check in with yourself. Do you have energy throughout the day? Mm -hmm. I have so much crazy energy throughout the day and I normally don't. I only eat two meals a day. I have a coffee in the morning with my MCT oil and my butter and that keeps me full until 1 or 2 p.m., I don't hold any sort of time though. If I'm like hungry by 11, I'll eat. If I'm not hungry till two, I won't eat till two. So I really go my hunger cues. But what I talked about earlier is that metabolic flexibility is if you can get to that place, then you're not, like I said, chasing snacks. Like your blood sugar level is a lot more level and you don't feel like you have to constantly be eating more because think about if we're just eating all day, which essentially if you do those like six little meals throughout the day, you're never getting giving your body a chance to rest and digest. Your digestive system is constantly going all day. And there's something to be said about allowing your digestion to end. And then your body can focus on cellular reparation. It can, be, it can focus on other things instead of you're just constantly digesting all day. I agree with you on that. I think it is important to give our body that time to rest and focus on the other bodily functions that need to happen in addition to digestion. Now you mentioned going off of your hunger cues, which I think should be the goal for for most of us. The challenge is that we're constantly surrounded by food, whether it's scrolling on Instagram, watching TV, or just everywhere we drive and go, there's, there's typically food associated with it. So a lot of people are eating even when they're not hungry just you know, because they are surrounded by it and they're craving it. And so I think the goal eventually is to be able to eat intuitively. And yet that's a challenge for most. So what tips would you have for people who want to slowly get better connected with their intuition and eat just off of their hunger cues? I love this. So I'm trying to think about how I was able to switch that over. I, I've mentioned this a couple of times. The goal is metabolic flexibility, which means that you can go for longer periods of time without eating. But in a healthy way. This is not like you're sitting by the clock, like starving to that is not healthy. I'm talking about you were legitimately, you are not even thinking about food. You are not hungry. Like you see a snack in front of you and you're like, "Eh, I, I don't really need it. Like I could take it or leave it. The way that I was able to get there was it was baby steps. So it was a combination of kind of everything that we've been talking about, right? So limiting my sugar, because that's number one. If you can really bring your sugar down, that's going to help mitigate those, you know, the ups and downs, the crashes that I was talking about earlier with your blood sugar level. So I would say get your sugar under control. One way that you can do that is by eating more good, healthy fats. So what do I mean by healthy fats? avocado, fatty fish like salmon, nuts and seeds, nut butters, avocado oil, olive oil is great. Olives, grass-fed butter. Mm-hmm. I put grass-fed butter on a lot of stuff. We have vilified butter. It is one of the most healthiest foods on the planet if you get organic grass-fed butter. I love, not butter. All the- oh, <laughs> I love butter. It's so good. Yeah. And this is your pass to eat butter. I eat it. So I have butter every single day. So focusing on those high quality fats. And I would start with kind of baby steps. One way you can do that. Now I know is with fasting and I I want to really give a caveat here because this is once again, I want to remind people that if this doesn't work for you, don't listen to me and try to do this. If if this is going to cause you any sort of pain or not allow you to feel good in your body. But what really helped me a lot was kind of doing this intermittent fasting. But what I do, I do something that is called intuitive intermittent fasting. I don't go by any sort of timing necessarily. Like I don't mean like I don't live and die by the clock. So let's say, for example, if I eat, if I finish eating dinner at like 7 p.m., right, which I usually try to eat earlier in the evening. Again, I'm not perfect. I don't always go by the clock. Sometimes I eat 
eat dinner at 10 p.m. and that's okay. But generally speaking, on average, I usually end between like 6, 7 p.m. I won't eat until the next day lunch unless if I'm hungry. And I, what I mean by baby steps is initially what you could start doing is just say like, okay, when I'm done eating dinner, like I'm done for the night. Does that mean that you're not going to have a snack sometimes? No. Again, follow your, your body. Wake up in the morning. If you can have that coffee in the morning, even if you want to just put a little bit of MCT oil in there, like put some sort of fat in there, that's going to keep you in that fasted state. But it's not, so it's not going to take you out of the fasted state. And then you don't have to eat until you're hungry later. But if you are, I used to be one of those people that I was starving when I would wake up at 8 a.m., like starving. Like I would have to immediately get out of bed, have a meal. I never thought that I would ever be that person that wasn't hungry in the morning. So I slowly started doing this and it slowly started going back and back and back. It was like one day I'd wake up and be like, oh yeah, I had my coffee. I'm not really hungry till 10 a.m. And then it just kept going back. I'm not hungry till 11 a.m. And again, this is not about... If you're sitting by the clock and you're like, I'm so starving and I'm trying to get till noon, don't do that. It's horrible for your metabolism. It's horrible for your mental state. This is about finding a healthy balance with your food. And my point with all of this is when you can start training your body to be in that state, when you're in that fasted state, your body is taking your fat stores and burning them for energy. Mm -hmm. And you have a clear mental state. You have more energy. It's why a lot of people like doing exercise in the morning on a fasted state because they find that they have more energy to do it. And so I would say start with the baby steps. If you can just stop eating at a certain point at night and then think about if I stopped eating at 7 p.m., I went to bed, I woke up. Let's say that I didn't eat until 8 a.m. the next morning. That would still be 7 p.m. to 7. That would still be an 11-hour fast or no, 13-hour fast, 13-hour yeah. fast. Yeah. So if I go to like 1 p.m., what is that? I mean, that's a long, that's like a 16-hour fast. Yeah, that's exactly 16 hours, yeah. But I cannot stress this enough. I don't think about it. This is not something that I am like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I have to get to this time. There, and, and I will say for the women listening, you really have to tune in with your cycle too. Yeah. Because this looks different for me when I am gearing up for my period and when I'm on my period versus when I have just come off my period. I'm a lot hungrier. Your body needs more calories. You're exerting more energy. On those days, I find myself usually hungry around 10 or 11 a.m. and I eat. And that's when I eat. So this is how you slowly get to a place where... When I'm in this place now is what you had asked earlier, like how do people get to this point where they're constantly surrounded by food and they, they don't want to give into these cravings, but they feel almost like driven by them. If you can get to this place where you're at this metabolic flexibility, it's not to say that you won't ever be tempted, but it really is rare. It really is rare. If I find myself around snacks and stuff now, unless if I am just like absolutely starving or I'm just like, man, I really want those chips right now, I'm not even tempted by it anymore. And it's because I've gotten my place... I've gotten my body to this place where I'm so full and satisfied that I'm not craving or like starving for little snacks. Does that make sense? It, it makes total sense. And I noticed that as well when I started to fast is that even without thinking about it, you're just, you're not as hungry as you would think that you'd be. So yeah. a lot of people, you know, go into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to force myself to, to wait this amount of time. And what they typically find, obviously it's different for everyone. It might not be easy in the beginning, but you typically find that you're not nearly as hungry as you'd expect yourself to be. And then you realize that like, hey, why do I then typically eat at this time? Is it because of stress? Is it because I'm trying to fill some other void? And then you could actually figure out if there's something else going on that needs attention. That is a great point. And that oftentimes I think is why people start eating a lot of snacks at night. You know, you're usually like uh, covering up for some sort of emotion or something that you don't want to feel or address or whatever. And and that's so normal and natural. That's also not to shame anyone. Like I, I go through that too. So that's very normal. But if you can look at it, this is what changed everything for me with fasting. If you can look at it when you are asleep, that's already, depending on how much sleep you get, an, an easy eight-hour fast. So if you just tack on like two hours the night before and maybe two hours when you wake up in the morning, that's a 10-hour fast that you did. And that's easy. You won't even know. You'll blink and it's like, you know, time to eat. So you won't, you'll barely notice it. Yeah. And what I found is that a lot of my friends who weren't even the most health conscious before they started fasting, the amount of change that happened once they started to fast was monumental. Like it really is yeah. a great way to set yourself up on like this better, cleaner path. And I find that typically people who do start to fast do start to make changes, you know, aside from just the fasting when it comes to their health, which is great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people there, there's a lot of science to back up fasting and how good it is for our bodies Absolutely. and for our brains too. Totally. Are you a fan at all of longer fasts? Do you mean like going lo like going days? 
Yeah, like 36 hours. I know there's 72 hours. There's people who do prolonged like water or liquid fasts. So this is kind of where I I step off. And again, I love reminding people this. This <laughs> is where you need to figure out what works best for you. Yeah. And this is me I personally don't think that I can do it. I tried to do prolon. I didn't end up finishing it because I was just like, you know what? I was I was at that place where I was like, I'm starving <laughs> and I feel like I haven't eaten anything. And I can't stress enough how unhealthy that is. We are not talking about an eating disorder here. That is when you're getting into eating disorder territory. You know what I mean? So that's where I kind of draw the line. But I know people, I mean, I have a friend that does like 10 day water fast and I'm just over here like, wow, okay. Like clap, like, holy crap. I could never do that. But I appreciate that some people do find a lot of health benefits from it, but I personally just can't do it because it it, it affects my mental state too much. Yeah. And it's good that you noticed that and that you, you avoid it. Yeah. For sure. Now we spoke about sugar a little bit earlier, but I want to get your take on fruit. I know that we, we both spoke about trying to limit sugar, especially in the morning. What are your viewpoints on fruit? That's a great question. I will say that as I low, as I started to scale back on my sugar intake, I stopped really craving a lot of fruit and I am not vilifying fruit. I love it. If I'm craving it, I'll eat it but I really don't eat that much anymore. And I cannot stress this enough. This is the most important thing about fruit is do not drink your fruit. Mm-hmm. Always eat your fruit. And the reason why is when we're drinking fruit juice, all of the fiber has been extracted and all you're left with is basically the sugar. Mm-hmm. That's why it tastes so good. But the problem is, is that when you're eating a fruit in its whole natural state, so let's say if you're eating an apple versus drinking it, you're going to get all of that amazing fiber that is so good for your body and the prebiotics that feed your gut bacteria. And all of that is going to help to slow down the impact of sugar as it hits your bloodstream. But if you're just doing straight juice, I mean, it's just straight sugar. So if you are going to fruit, avoid the fruit juices, like this drives me nuts. Some people will get green juices and then they'll throw a bunch of apple in there or pineapple or whatever. I'm like, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Throw lemon in there. It cuts the acidity of the greens. It still kind of gives it a little bit of a sweet taste, but you're not getting all the sugar eat the apple, don't drink it. So I wouldn't vilify it. I will say be careful of how much fruit you're eating just because it still is sugar. It's a lot of fructose. But again, I don't want, I don't, I don't believe in vilifying any whole real food because I would much rather someone reach for a banana than reach for a bag of chips. You know, I just would be mindful if you're making a smoothie, don't throw like three bananas in there and like half a cup of blueberries and a bunch of mangoes. Do like half a banana. And do like a fourth a cup of blueberries or whatever. Just be mindful of the fruit you're eating while also enjoying it. Yeah. No, I think that's a good approach to, to fruit. And again, I think fruit does offer tremendous benefits. But again, like we mentioned earlier, it's different for everyone. I know people who thrive on having a ton of fruit. So it's an individual thing. Yeah. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your cues and say like, do I feel good after I eat this? You'll start to notice. Now, we briefly mentioned this before, but timing of meals is actually really important. You know, you could eat the same exact meal, but at different times and it does get processed differently and affect other functions differently. So what are your views on that? I know you mentioned that you like to finish dinner relatively early. I don't really go by meal times. To be honest, I am full of thought that it doesn't really matter. I know there's a lot of science to back it up. There's a lot of experts saying that you should be eating at, you know, specific times during the day, but I don't believe in that because I believe that if we're putting, I mean, time alone, I don't, I'm going to get mad at your time construct, you know? So why did we think that we need to have meals at this very specific time of the day instead of just like tuning in and saying like, am I hungry? Do I need something right now? I'm feeling really low energy. Like what do I need right now to replenish my energy? So I think that if we're trying so hard to live by these time frames, then we're not listening to our body and what it's telling us and what we really need. There are a lot of studies that say that, you know, it's good to eat with the sun. So like you want to have your lunch maybe outside with the sun hitting your eyeballs and stuff like that. And we want to kind of go by the circadian rhythm. It is better to eat earlier in the night, especially if you go to bed really early, it's good to eat like two or three hours before. So if you're going to bed at nine, you're eating at like five or six, you know, because you want to give your body enough time to digest. So that's kind of really the only thing I would say. And then um, like I mentioned earlier, I really try not to eat a ton at night. Does that mean I don't sometimes? No, but I don't usually. That's a big one for me too. I just find that I also try to eat intuitively, but I do prefer to eat at least a few hours before bed because my sleep quality is just so much better when it has yeah. the, that few hour gap between mealtime and bedtime. Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, if your body is still digesting when you are sleeping, it's taking away from all the other processes that 
that need to happen while you're sleeping. You know, we, our brain categorizes memories while we're sleeping, go through cellular repair. There's so many other things that need to be happening if your body is focusing on digesting, digest. Oh my God, <laughs> digesting. I don't know why that was so hard to say. <laughs> then you're taking away from all these other processes that are really important that happen during sleep. Absolutely. One of which is taking care of our immune systems. And I feel like nowadays, so many people are super conscious of, you know, boosting their immune systems, protecting their immune systems. What are some of your favorite immunity hacks for anyone out there who just wants that extra protection? So like supplements or... Yeah, well, you know, definitely... Well, a couple, yeah. yeah, definitely supplements. Because again, even when you eat real foods and even when you do your absolute best, we all know that soil quality nowadays is different. And, you know, it's very difficult to get your full nutrients through food alone, as great as that would be. And as much as we yeah. should strive to do that, it's very difficult nowadays. So, you know, supplementation is sometimes necessary. Yeah. So, okay, actually, so I will go into supplementation in a second. I would say the number one biggest thing for immunity is vitamin D levels. Yeah. If you live in a place where you can get sunlight, go outside and get uninterrupted sun for at least 20 minutes a day. And by uninterrupted, I mean, like you basically want to be wearing almost no clothes you know, like go out in like your sports bra if you're a woman or go out shirtless if you're a man and don't put on sunscreen. I'm not saying don't wear sunscreen all day, but I'm saying if you're in the sun for like 20 minutes, even to an, if I hike 45 minutes a day and I don't put sunscreen on except for on my face yeah, because sunscreen blocks your body's ability to synthesize vitamin D from the sun. Vitamin D is actually a hormone and it is one of the most important components of our immune system. When I had COVID, Sorry, I dropped the C word. I won't go too into it. But when I had it, my doctor told me, he said, go outside and lay in the sun every day and get your vitamin D. It lasted four days. I did a bunch of other treatments. We don't have to go into it. But I would put my bikini on every morning and I would just lay in the backyard. Obviously, no one was around and I would just get vitamin D. And I will tell you that that really helped. There are so many studies. You can go to PubMed and type in immunity, vitamin D. And you can also look up the amount of diseases that we see that are linked to low amounts of vitamin D, it's insane. They link so much stuff to it. COVID, cancer, cardiovascular disease, like, and we are all chronically deprived of vitamin D because we're slathering on sunscreen constantly. We're not getting enough of our bare skin in the sun and allowing our bodies to synthesize it. Now, if you're listening and you're like, I live in like Wisconsin and it's winter, I'm not going to get any sun, supplement it. I so, agree with you on that. That's a big one. And it's also important to, to test your levels quite frequently. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in the sun, but I also supplement it. I did a lot over the last year. And it's important when you do supplement it to check in periodically just to see and make sure that your body's fully absorbing it. Yes. That is a really great point. I always get, I get lab work done once or twice a year just to kind of see where all my levels are across the board. And vitamin D is a really important one to look yeah, for. For sure. Yeah. So I would say vitamin D, um, other hacks that you can do the cold plunge and like the hydrotherapy where you do, you know, either a cold shower or if you have access to a cold plunge and then get in something really hot. So like a sauna, a steam room, even like a really hot bath, like there's a really easy, cheap way to do it. If you don't have access to saunas and all that, take a really cold shower and then take a really hot bath and sweat it all out. It's really good for the immune system. It's really good metabolism. It's good for the lymphatic system because you're draining out all the toxins, getting everything out. That's another really good one. And then, yeah, I mean, supplementation and then also just keeping your diet in line. If you're eating whole real foods and your body is healthy, your immune system is going to be healthier. And then as far as supplements go, obviously everyone knows about vitamin C. You can do really high doses of vitamin C. Obviously with any of these, always talk to your doctor. This is not medical advice. But you can, especially if you feel like you're getting sick, I always take higher doses of vitamin C, like 5,000 milligrams. Let's see. Elderberry is really good. Oil of oregano is also... Oil of oregano is so powerful. It acts like an antiviral and an antibiotic. Another one is garlic. A lot of people don't, may not know this, but raw garlic has incredibly high antiviral and antimicrobial properties, but it has to be raw. So I've been known to swallow just raw cloves of garlic and it really does work. I do that too once in a while. And what I notice is if I'm not chewing it, a lot of people fear that if they chew it, they're going to have that smell with them the whole day. But sometimes yeah. if you swallow it, it's not as bad. It's um, true. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I think it's super important. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm trying to think there's another... Oh, uh, zinc is a really important one. Oh, yeah. And if you take zinc and quercetin together, quercetin is something called a zinc ionophore, which means that it helps to push the zinc through the cell wall and into the cell membrane. So it helps to actually attack the virus. 
and which is something that zinc is uh, very well documented in doing. And when I say virus, I mean everything. I'm not just talking about what you know, COVID, yeah. what we've been through the last two years, but it, that included. It's been shown to help tremendously with COVID. Yes. Again, go to PubMed, guys. Look up those studies. There's a lot of them. Yeah, those would be the top ones. But like I said, vitamin D really is a number one immune boosting. Yeah, that's a super important one. And, you know, I'm happy. My levels are super high now. I got my my labs done recently and I was impressed with my levels. So I'm happy. That's amazing. <laughs> that's For awesome. sure. Now, we mentioned this briefly, but I mean, it seems that nowadays, a lot of times like natural and holistic things are under attack. And something that I respect about you a lot is that you're still super open about it, even though lots of information is censored and looked down upon sharing now. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, who have the same views, but, you know, feel stuck and afraid to sort of speak their truth now. Um, and so I was wondering, you know, what tips you'd have for them and what sort of helps you continue to speak the truth, even when it's not an easy time to do so. Okay. So I was never always that, I guess you would say brave, which is like sad that it has to be considered like an act of almost heroism to talk your opinion, to speak your mind now. But it is, I will say for, you know, on my Instagram, I stayed pretty silent, especially in the last like year, I was really scared because, you know, we're going through a really crazy time in society. Like all like COVID stuff aside, it's like, you know, we went through cancel culture and everyone's really concerned about white privilege and race and all this stuff. And, and understandably so, like, I'm not crapping on that, but like, we're all, it's like, we're all kind of tiptoeing around on eggshells now because you say one little thing and it offends everyone. And I think like what really helped me the most is I just kind of had this moment where I was like, I'm so convicted in what I know to be the truth. And I could no longer stay silent. And I think it really comes down to being very well, and this is advice for people, become very well researched, really know what you're talking about. That is the number one thing. Like if you have conviction, you have confidence. So that was for me, I, I was silent for a long time while I was really absorbing and I was taking all the information. And, and for people that don't follow me and don't really know what we're talking about, like I got pretty vocal about stuff with COVID because I've gotten to this place where you know, we're two years in and we've had no conversation about health whatsoever. Yeah. It's all just been like this one size fits all approach that does not work for everyone. I'm not saying it doesn't work for some, but like we said earlier, everything is so bio-individual. And I just got to a point where I was so convicted and I was confident in it that I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to get some backlash. I'm going to get some people that are going to come at me and they're going to say mean things. But if you are so confident and convicted when people come at you, it just slides off of you, you know? And look, I'm not sitting here saying that I don't ever get comments that don't like derail me a little bit. I'm human. That happens. But you will get to a place where you're like, you know what? This person is probably coming to me because they were triggered for some reason. I brought up something that scares them or worries them or upsets them for whatever reason. And you just have to remember that it really isn't about you. And that was a big thing for me too. I was like, you know what? Like, Whatever I share is obviously it's a very touch, touchy, sensitive subject. It's gonna offend and it's gonna hurt some people. I'm not doing that to offend people, but I just recognize that those people that are offended and hurt and triggered, it's more about them and what it brought up for them than it is about me and the message. And so once I kind of got that a uh, hold on that, I was like, you know what? It's fine. I'm gonna share my truth. I'm convicted enough in this and. I also really believe that we are in a place right now that it is more important than ever that we have more voices because we have gotten to a point like, when are we going to start saying that some of the things that we're doing are Ill illogical? They just don't make sense. I am all for things that are logical, but if you are going to tell me that I have to put a mask on to walk two feet in to stand at a host stand, and then I walk two more feet to sit at my table and then I no longer have to wear my mask. I'm going to tell you that's insane. That does not make logical sense. Completely. And at what point, right? And at what point, like I tell my friends, I'm like, we need to start naming those things because it's kind of like we're all just walking around blindly, like following because everyone else is. And it's like, but we're blindly following some things that make illogical sense. Exactly. So why are we still doing this? And the longer that you follow, the harder it is to return. And that's what I always <sighs> tell people. It's like, there is sort of a timeline, you know, the longer you let these things go on, the more it becomes routine. And yeah. if you are a person who has this strong intuition and you see things a certain way, the reason why might be because your job is to actually help others see it too. Like that might be part of your purpose. So rather than ignoring it, just because it's easier, it's important to actually step into it. I love that so much. I love that. And you know, it, if you really know whatever you're sharing to be true, I keep reminding myself that people are 
are going to come around on their own timelines. You know, like you will get some people in the beginning that are like, oh my God, I'm so glad that you said that. And then you'll get some people later on down the line that are like, you know, I was really coming at you at first. I totally didn't agree. And now I see it. Now I see it. And I'm sorry that it took me so long, you know? And so you have to remember too, that everyone's on a different journey. Everyone comes from different perspectives and different upbringings. And we all bring so many different things to the table that we've, it's all our own personal human experience. And you also, again, just have to remember that most of the time it is nothing personal to you. So don't be scared to share what you know to be true because the people that are going to, you know, that are going to stick by your side are going to stick by your side and people that are going to come at you may come apologize later. And if they don't, then not your people. And typically the ones who stand by your side will love you even more. Like that's what I find, you know, people that actually share the truth. Like if I like them before, I like them even more after. So you can't be afraid of that. Exactly. Exactly. And there is something very magnetic about someone that, that speaks with conviction. Totally. Yeah. Especially if you're like, yeah, I see that too. And I, you know, I believe that. And so if you're scared to speak up, I totally get it. And, and I think this also goes back to your point, which was so beautifully said that I also believe that everyone kind of play, we all have a different purpose here in life. You know, we all play a different role in this. And I think actually a friend of mine the other day, she wrote me a message and she was like, God, I wish I could be more vocal like you are on Instagram, but like, I don't know how, and I don't know what to say. And I wrote her back and I was like, maybe it's just not your job to do that. Like you said, you know, like everyone has different purpose on here and I am feeling led and called to talk about these things that are a little bit more controversial, but that doesn't mean just because I do it and you also agree with me and see it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's your purpose to also do that. You may have other jobs while you're here on this planet, but I do believe that we are all here right now during this specific time, because for a reason, we all have a reason to be here right now. I agree with you. And I think that's a great point. I think we all have to recognize that we do have different purposes based on, you know, just how we feel about certain things or certain skill sets that we have. And that's okay. You know, we don't all have to be the same. Some of us feel courageous enough to speak up. Others might do things behind the scenes and that's totally fine. Absolutely. And that is just as meaningful and important as people that are being more vocal. Totally. And you mentioned that, you know, first and foremost, it's really important to educate yourself and learn as much as you can on on certain topics. So I know you mentioned some great books earlier that helped you on your wellness journey. Are there any other books, documentaries, podcasts? Obviously, your podcast is great as well that you recommend as resources for people. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, there's a documentary on Netflix called Kiss the Ground. Mm. I know the founders personally. I've seen it twice. It is such an amazing film. And without going too far into it, basically they they talk about regenerative farming and how that really is the solution to climate change. And so I, I'll just leave it at that. It's a great, great documentary. There is a book called, you know what? I am blanking on it. I don't have to look it up. There's a book by Michael Pollan, which is like one of my favorite authors ever. Oh, it's called In Defense of Food. I loved that book. It I haven't read that one. Oh my God. It's my favorite one of his. But I'm a little bit more into, I like to know like how we got to this place. Like that's what I kept asking myself when I first started getting into food. I was like, how do we get to this place where like our food isn't food anymore and it's just all fake and processed? And he really dives into that, like how we got to this place of industrializing our food. And it was fascinating. So if you're into that, I loved that. I would recommend any of Mark Hyman's books. He is considered kind of the father of uh, functional medicine and he has amazing books. I'm kind of blanking on other... If I think of any more, I'll I'll email them to you to put in the show notes. But those are kind of my favorite go-to books. I'd mentioned that book, You Are What You Eat. To be honest, I haven't picked it up in probably 15 years. So I don't I'm even... I'm going to read that one still. too. I've heard of it, but yeah. I've never read it. It was great. It's a super simple read. So if you're yeah. more like on you know the beginning stages of this, I would definitely highly recommend. Dr. X has a lot of really amazing books that I love. I'm a huge fan of him. I'm trying to think if there's some other doc. I know there's other documentaries, but I'm blanking on them right now. I'll I'll send you some some. Yeah, and those were great. I mean, that'll keep people busy for at least a few <laughs> weeks, to, if not awesome. months, for sure. Now, a question I like to ask people who come on our podcast is: if you could sit down and have tea with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? So I would say Michael Pollan. Ooh, he okay. is one of my favorite people. Uh, there there are about five people that I name off as as truly um, the people that helped me kind of see the light with like health and nutrition really put me on this career path. And Michael Pollan is one of them. And what I love so much about him is that he opened my eyes to the food industry and what was going on in the food industry. And so that was already amazing enough. And then now if you've been following his work, he's been writing about psychedelics. And I don't know if I'm allowed to like talk about that a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I know everyone has differing comfort. No, we talk about it a lot on the show. 
Okay. Amazing. He is revolutionary in his writing. Like he really is putting this normalization of psychedelics on the map. And if you are not, well, you probably, your listeners are probably very well versed with the studies and stuff Mm -hmm. coming, coming out. But what he's showing and shedding light on is absolutely fascinating. I'm actually reading his book right now, Change Your Mind. And he goes into, similarly with the food industry, similarly to that, um, how we got to this place with drugs where we're vilifying so much when we're realizing that a lot of them, like, for example, mushrooms have a lot of really healing properties for us. So I would love to have mushroom tea with Michael Pollan and have like an amazing conversation, pick his brain. I just think he's, yeah, I just, I adore him and I would love to. So we have to make that happen. You have to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, come on here and tell us all about it. To bring on my podcast. So yeah, have like, them on your podcast, set up tea, and then come on here and let us know how it goes. <laughs> Perfect. I would love that. Awesome. Now for anyone out there who's going to listen to this that wants to learn more about your work or potentially get in touch with you, where are the best places to reach you at? Yeah. Well, like we mentioned earlier, I have the Real Foodology podcast. It's on all major podcast platforms. So wherever you listen, you we probably are there. Also, my website is realfoodology.com. And then you can also find me on Instagram, which is Real Foodology. So if you have any questions about anything I said today, please reach out to my DMs. I answer everyone. I see all your messages and I would love to connect with you. So Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You shed light on so many topics that are confusing for a lot of people. And I think you'll bring a lot of clarity to people as they continue to strive towards optimal health and wellness. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. It's been a really fun combo. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. That was great. Thanks for joining me on my conversation with Courtney Swan. I really enjoyed speaking with Courtney and learning more about how we can all strive to optimize our health by consuming more real foods in our daily lives. As always, if you have any questions, please email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.